With your hosts, Tim Weisberg and Matt Costa. Welcome to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here. Silent Assassin, Matt Costa, manning the boards. Science advisor, Matt Moniz, out in the field tonight. He is, uh, I'm not sure exactly what he's doing. I know he was heading uh, up north uh, to do some investigation work, and he was also going to be doing some interviewing on behalf of Bud Hopkins, the UFO uh, abduction researcher who runs the Intruders Foundation. You can check out their website, uh, intruder, intrudersfoundation.org, I believe it is. And, uh, yeah, check them out and, and see the kind of work they do because it's amazing uh, the, the cases that they've compiled, and I think he's actually talking to an abductee and conducting an interview on behalf of Bud Hopkins. Hopefully he's going to check in with us uh, at some point during the night, hopefully pretty uh, pretty soon to the top of the hour here, because we want to talk to him about a case that's been out there this week in the news. Uh, if you've heard the space shuttle Atlantis, the landing was delayed when some debris was circling the ship, and uh, Matt is convinced that it is extraterrestrial in nature. He says he's not buying the shuttle debris or the space junk theory that NASA is floating out there. He wants to challenge that theory. So we will talk to him a little bit about that if he can call in. We also have some news on that front that I think he might not even have heard yet, although you never know with him. He's uh, he's pretty wily in the way he gets his information. But all of that is secondary tonight to what our main topic is, because tonight we will be talking to Rosemary Ellen Guiley, who is probably one of the most notable names when it comes to... Uh, Books on the Paranormal. She's written over 30 books on various subjects uh, within the field of the paranormal. We're talking everything from ghosts, vampires, werewolves, angels and fairies, magic, witchcraft, reincarnation, dreams, uh, intuition, psychic skills, tarot, soulmates, the saints, uh, miracles and prayer. She can pretty much uh, you know, cover all wide ranges of the paranormal. So with her as our special guest a little bit later on at about 10.30, we want you to call in with any of your paranormal questions, your experiences, your thoughts, your theories, anything related to the paranormal, please get in touch with us. 508-996-0500 is the phone number. 508-291-0500 is the phone number. If you can't call in, if you don't feel comfortable calling in and we hope that that's not the case because you know we're here to believe everybody we are not here to judge we're here to get to the bottom of what the paranormal is and try to figure this all out you can go to our website spookysouthcoast.com and on that website we have a message board sign up for the message board and you can put your questions up on there in the live show chat room and we'll be able to ask them to rosemary on your behalf you know if you don't want to call in but please please 508-996-0500 508-291-0500 for Wareham and the Cape. And those numbers are right on the front page of SpookySouthCoast.com as well, uh, should you need to access them during the course of the night. So it's uh, been a couple of weeks since we've been on, on the air here. Um, you may have heard uh, two weeks ago we had a about a 20-minute show uh, just about into Sunday morning. 
Uh, it was about 11.30, 11.40. We went on the air with Kristen Gartland from TAPS uh, to talk about an appearance she was making that was actually subsequently canceled. So I think what it was is uh, after we just totally butchered her appearance on Spooky South Coast, they said, no, forget it, cancel it. No? Yeah, I don't think that's what happened. So, so no. what have you been up to in these two weeks, Matt? Have, uh, Myself? Have, yeah. Uh, school and work. <laughs> ah, well, that's pretty much <laughs> Nothing what, paranormal. Yeah. Not this week. Nothing paranormal. But we will, uh, we will be delving back into the world of the paranormal next Friday night because that is when Rosemary Ellen Guiley will be coming to Massachusetts to present a special presentation on the ghosts of Angela Webb. Uh, that will be this month's uh, open meeting for the Cape and Islands Paranormal Research Society. And in a little while, we'll have Derek Bartlett, the uh, founder of the Cape and Islands Paranormal Research Society, here in the studio with us. He'll talk to us a little bit more, you know, just a refresher on the organization for those who are new to the program. Uh, he'll also talk about what they talk about at these open meetings, uh, what CAPERS is trying to accomplish, uh, investigating the paranormal in this area. And, of course, there's a whole slew of things happening this uh, this coming month, October, as we prepare for the Halloween season. You know, it's it's great and fine and dandy to, to talk about the paranormal around Halloween because it is the time when people are a little bit more willing to believe. But uh, we, we try to put a focus on it year-round. But as we say here at Spooky South Coast, it's like Christmas coming up here. There's so many uh, different activities you can do from the, you know, the fictitious hauntings. The Lakeville Haunted House is an excellent uh, haunt, local haunted house where they put on, I don't want to say reenactments of horror, but, you know, it's, it's fictional horror. It's good family fun. Uh, there's also the Factory of Terror in Fall River as well and the Asylum of Horror in Fall River. So we're going to try and get everybody from those organizations on with us next week because we're also going to be talking to Rick Rebello next week who is the uh, coordinator of the Rhode Island Horror Film Festival. And Penny Dreadful will be joining us, the, the witch Penny Dreadful. You know her from Penny Dreadful Shilling Shockers on Channel 95 here in the New Bedford area. She's going to be the hostess, the hostess with the mostess of that film festival. So she'll be joining us as well. We're also going to have John Horrigan on, who is the uh, coordinator of the Massachusetts Monster Mash Conference, which is happening on October 13th. And the next night, the 14th of October, he'll be having the Massachusetts MUFON meeting as part of that whole weekend extravaganza as well. So we're going to get into all of that next week. But, of course, you can find links up to the stuff at SpookySouthCoast.com. You can go to our MySpace account, uh, MySpace.com slash SpookySouthCoast. And a lot of these people are hooked up with us uh, on on the MySpace as well. It's it's really a great tool for these paranormal groups to come together. It's It's like every time... There's a new group that pops up. Either we try to get get them and sign them up onto our MySpace, or they usually find us pretty quick. So it's a really good networking tool. And uh, we're still waiting to see if Matt Moniz calls in. Uh, we'll give him a, a little bit more because we, we do want to talk to him about this interesting case with the astronauts. Now, I don't know if uh, if you heard about that prior to me telling you about it, Matt. The, no, I didn't hear about it. I, I hadn't heard either. I was driving to work over at the newspaper on Tuesday, and, and Matt Moniz called me. And he's like, have you been paying attention to the news at all today? I said, no, I, I really haven't. Uh, you know, I've been kind of locked down in sports mode preparing that stuff. And so he said, well, something is buzzing around the space shuttle, the space shuttle uh, Atlantis, which was supposed to be landing that day, I believe, but it was it was held off because of whatever it was that was floating around. So I was... 
immediately made the, uh, I guess, leap in logic that it was, you know, first contact with an extraterrestrial here, that, you know, finally it was happening and NASA wouldn't be able to deny it anymore. And, and so I'm thinking there's probably, you know, like a ship buzzing around it from the way he was talking. But when I got into the office and I started talking to some of the news people over there and looking it up on, like, CNN.com and Space.com, it was two small, dark... I think it was like cylindrical objects that were floating around the ship at different times. So there is there is footage on the internet. There is footage if you uh, if you go to, I guess space.com will still have it. I'm sure CNN.com still has it. Uh, Matt Moniz knows a couple other websites that have uh, kept the footage up there, but there is actual footage up there, and you can see how long it was buzzing around the ship and exactly what it was doing. It looked like it was just underneath the ship, and it was kind of following along with it. And NASA's official explanation is that it was, uh, they thought it was unknown debris, whether it was something that had fallen off the shuttle or whether it was, you know, just junk that is floating out there uh, anyway. And I was talking about it with Matt Moniz afterward, and he said that most of the space junk, actually all of the space junk is cataloged and followed um, by NASA and by NORAD. They know where it is. So it's to have new unknown Debris floating around, it's kind of a big deal. So that's why they had to investigate the shuttle to make sure it was safe for landing and that it wasn't like a tile that had fallen off the previous shuttle mission that caused all kinds of problems. So um, they must have come up clean on the on the shuttle because the last I had heard is nothing was wrong with it, nothing had fallen off. So now you have unknown space debris floating out there if it is debris. So what is it? Is it something more than that? So Matt Moniz was uh, looking into that all week long, and if he does get a chance to call him, we will talk to him about it. And uh, if not, we will certainly follow up with a story on SpookySouthCoast.com. On the message board now, there is some discussion about it uh, in the professor's pit, which is Matt Moniz's little chat area where he puts up uh, interesting notes that he finds on the Internet and offers his analysis. So if you want to go up on there, you can get a little bit more information on the story than just the glancing over that we're doing now. And uh, any follow-up information, he'll put there as well. But what I'll do now is uh, just to let people know about uh, what's going on further in the story, I'll, I'll share that news story I was talking about with you, Matt Costa. Uh, and then if Matt Moniz does call in, we'll just refresh on it. Uh, this is from the Associated Press. An astronaut collapsed twice Friday, a day after she returned to Earth in the shuttle Atlantis, and officials attributed her wobbles to the adjustment from 12 days at zero gravity. Heidi Marie uh, Stephanie Piper left the welcome home ceremony at the hangar at Ellington Field in Houston, but was not taken to a hospital. Officials said she was doing fine. She was the fifth of the six astronauts to speak. She appeared to be confused before her legs buckled during her address. NASA officials and crew members braced her and lowered her to the ground. She stood up again, and the crowd applauded. Boy, if that's not a little embarrassing, she said. After speaking for another half minute or so, she again appeared confused and gripped the podium. Crew members stepped to her side and lowered her to the floor. Two NASA officials then helped her leave through a side door, and she was allowed to return home by early afternoon, said Smith Johnson, the crew's flight surgeon who was at Piper's side when she fell. Astronauts typically lose 10% to 14% of their blood volume while in space, usually regaining it in a day or two, according to Johnson. It's like they just went to the blood bank, he said. Glenn Piper, who was at the ceremony, blamed his wife's fall on the combination of effects from her recent return, a relatively warm hangar, and the excitement of the ceremony. 
She's doing 100% well, he said by phone from home later on in the day. Basically, she's embarrassed. The Atlantis crew returned Thursday after performing the first construction work on the International Space Station since the Columbia disaster three and a half years ago. They performed three grueling spacewalks to hook up a 17-and-a-half-ton addition, which included a giant set of electricity-producing solar panels. Piper, 43 years old, of St. Paul, Minnesota, is a commander in the Navy and was a mission specialist and cosmic electrician aboard the shuttle. She carried out two of the spacewalks, joining an elite club of only six other U.S. women and a single Russian woman who have made spacewalks. So, you know, that is the... Now, this is the Associated Press version, which comes from the statements issued from NASA. So they are saying that her collapse was just due to weakness, uh, loss of blood volume from being in space, you know, the reacclimation to the Earth, to its gravity. Can you read into it more? I don't know. What else could it be? Well, I mean, I'm just putting this out there as just another strange circumstance surrounding this. Let's not forget, this is the... Um, the first construction work on the space station since the Columbia disaster three and a half years ago. I'm not exactly sure if this is the first space mission uh, since since that disaster. I know they were hesitant to. They were talking that that could have been the end of the space program really? when it when it happened. I mean, the, it was that serious, and they were that concerned about the the effects of it. So, is it possible that there is something monitoring what we're doing out in space? Is there Maybe something out there that doesn't want us to have this space station or uh, is concerned about the way that we're carrying out our space missions. Uh, I mean, to try to sabotage it? Is that what you're saying? Maybe? Well, I don't know necessarily maybe uh, sabotage. I mean, should we be out there? Is that maybe what the question is? Well, what, what, I mean, what are your thoughts on, on, space? on space? I mean, considering how much money we spend on having a presence out in space, uh, what do you think the value is of it? I, I think it's really valuable. Um, this may sound hippie, hippie-ish of me, but... <laughs> Which most, yeah. We are, we are destroying our planet. It's not, it's, it's, it's not a hidden fact. So, so you think we, that we need I, to look... We definitely try to find some other place to live. And, and, and then we can mess that place up, too. Yeah, well, there's a lot... <laughs> apparently, uh, from what I was reading online earlier today... There is over 500 known galaxies in the early universe, which is like the universe that we can, I guess, comprehend, uh, that we can diagram out. So 500 known galaxies. Now, each galaxy probably has, you know, dozens of solar systems within it. Uh, look at our own galaxy. You know, we're in the Milky Way galaxy, but our solar system is only part of that Milky Way galaxy. Mm-hmm. So there's just these immense... If you look at some of these photos on space.com of deep space, every time you see these little swirly things that look like, like hurricanes almost on a weather map, those are galaxies. And there are photos of literally hundreds of them uh, just out there. So to think that we are it, that we are alone, that's... Uh, I. I say that it's two things. I say ignorance and I say arrogance. It's ignorant of us to think that we're the only beings out there, and it's arrogance of us to think that. Um, but does that mean that whatever other presence is out there is infinitely more capable than us to travel across these great distances, and that if they could, that they would have an interest in what we're doing? Eh, maybe not. I don't, I don't think so either. Uh, and maybe a curiosity? Uh, sure. It's possible. But to be concerned enough to uh, 
uh, try to keep us from working on a space station or to somehow affect our astronauts. I don't really see you that. Think, you would think they would want us to be out there. Maybe. I don't know. It, 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 you or know maybe what? not. No, it no. all gets into the... It all gets into the... Uh, we are kind of jerks. What do they know that we don't know exactly? I mean... Uh, if you look back into, and we can probably get into some of this with Rosemary Ellen Guiley in just a bit, um, because a lot of the theories of the paranormal uh, are that it is, in fact, related to alien and UFO presence. A lot of this early human culture interaction, uh, you know, we talked about it with Heidi Hollis, that angels uh, could be actually aliens, Um that so many of these stories that we hear from a biblical perspective and from early literature and early Native American storytelling could be aliens uh, interacting with humans and and uh, plotting the course for humankind. So it's definitely a possibility. And if this is if if this story, uh, if the Atlantis crew, if this astronauts. Um, swooning spell, I guess you could call it, if it's all related. I mean, we could be closer than ever. Now, our friend uh, Bill Burns, who is the publisher of UFO Magazine, has said recently on Coast to Coast AM that there's going to be some major breaks in the UFO information coming out there. And so it's, it's quite possible that uh, we are on the cusp of something here, and hopefully more information will get out there. So... Would you like to take a break now, Matt? Yeah, I, I think we should pay some bills, I guess. Yeah, we'll pay some bills. Pay we'll some take bills. A, we'll take I've, a quick. I've break. I've always wanted to say that. We'll take a quick break. I'll see if I can get Matt Moniz on the phone for a little bit, and uh, then at about ten thirty or so, we will be joined by Rosemary Ellen Guiley, the noted author on all things paranormal. And she said to me right before we went on the air that she would love to take some calls from the spooky South Coast audience. She'd love to hear your thoughts, your theories, your stories, your experiences. And you can share them with us at 508-996-0500, 508-291-0500. And, of course, you can post your questions up and maybe share your thoughts uh, on the UFO phenomena on our message board at SpookySouthCoast.com. So we will be right back with more here on Spooky South Coast. Welcome back to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here, the silent assassin, Matt Costa, controlling all the madness. Vincent Price, scaring the heck out of us, as he usually does, even though he's no longer with us. But who is with us is Rosemary Ellen Guiley. She is a noted author on the paranormal. She's written more than 30 books and encyclopedias, hundreds of articles, and she's given numerous presentations. She has written for Fate Magazine since 1991 and is currently a consulting editor. In 2000, she formed Visionary Living Incorporated as a media company for her work. You can visit that website at visionaryliving.com. 
and in 2001, she obtained a PhD from the International Institute for Integral Human Sciences in Montreal. Joining us on the line is Rosemary Ellen Guiley. How are you tonight, Rosemary? Just um, pretty good, Tim. In fact, I've just come in from uh, investigation at a mansion in the Pittsburgh area. How did it go? Um, well, we were doing some EVP and photography. It's um, it's a quiet place. I think it has uh, something there, but um, some places the energy just needs to be coaxed out a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know exactly why that is sometimes. It may be energy of place or maybe not enough emotions got imbued into uh, the structure of a place. There's been a lot of renovation, and uh, sometimes that can disrupt things. But I always enjoy going out, and I uh, went out with one of the uh, local groups here in the Pittsburgh area. Uh, always interesting to see what's out there. There's uh, quite a haunted landscape on this planet. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, one thing uh, we always talk about here in the south coast area of Massachusetts, which, you know, for those unfamiliar, it's it's between Cape Cod and... and, and uh, almost to Rhode Island, around the Buzzards Bay area, is called the South Coast. But this whole area is really dense in paranormal activity, and it seems to have an overlying feeling to it. And I think, from what I understand, the Pittsburgh area is similar to that. A lot of that western Pennsylvania area has that type of, almost like a paranormal oppression to it. Yes. In fact, Pennsylvania, I think, is one of the more active states in America, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, West Virginia, um, and I think a lot of it has to do with geography because the uh, the mountains that run through the, especially the western parts, West Virginia, and then the western part of Pennsylvania, and uh, and on up into New Jersey, a lot of radon, and there are some geophysical properties I think that contribute to the retention of energy. Uh, I think that impressions of events are everywhere in psychic space, but some are very weak and some are very strong, and energy in the earth, I think, can sort of amp things up sometimes. I think that's why certain areas sort of get a reputation as being haunted, because there's something there that helps that energy stay strong, sort of like the ever-ready battery. <laughs> it just keeps going and going. Right. We have a similar situation here in this area. We have, we're have we very rich in quartz, and that seems to amplify a lot of the activity. But at the same time, uh, this area has a history of tragedy, which, while not all paranormal activity is negative in nature, it certainly does seem to be that the negative can be more prevalent at times. We had uh, uh, King Philip's War here, and down in that area, it was a lot of the Civil War type uh battlegrounds too so maybe that helps to contribute it maybe that negative energy is a little bit more stronger it certainly does and we you know we hardly ever come into a a haunted place where there's lots of happy memories it's always something um, tragic traumatic emotional violent those are the things that seem to get impressed into the uh, psychic space and have staying power You, you know and and Maybe you can uh, tell me if I'm off base on this, but I've been thinking a lot lately about the nature of hauntings, and it seems that happy hauntings, as you said, you know, you don't really see them a lot, but when you do have a presence that is uh, not oppressive, that is not, uh, you know, in an angry state, it's usually personal to the particular individual, and the negative is what is more 
to a location that other people can experience as well. You know what I mean? It's like it's almost like the happy hauntings are, you know, like your grandmother comes and consults with you or, you know, you feel the enveloping presence of a passed-on loved one. But the negative ones are the ones that everybody seems to experience. Yes, I think that's a very good observation, that there's something about that sort of energy that it gets anchored and hooked into place so that when large numbers of people over long periods of time come and go, they all seem to tap into the same thing. And is there... Does it seem to be that the negative is more attractive to people, do you think? Do you think when people go out and they search for hauntings and they, they're looking to investigate and to find it a little more, are they attractive to the negative because it's easier to find and it's more prevalent? Or prevalent, or is it, or is it more because our sick, twisted nature, that's what we're drawn to? <laughs> I think it's a combination because, uh, you know, let's face it, we're all sort of morbidly fascinated by terrible things that happen Absolutely. and we're less interested by happy things so i think there's something in our um our own nature that operates subconsciously or unconsciously and even consciously sometimes that our little psychic antennas are going to be looking for things that uh, feed that sort of curiosity now in all your experience uh for the many many books that you've written in the the personal investigations that you've gone out on, uh, what is probably the one event that sticks out in your mind as, if, if you were to, if somebody said to you, you know, the, the paranormal isn't real, what is the one event that you point out to them as saying, here's the one thing I can use to prove it? Uh, well, I have to confess that I have nothing that would convince a skeptic. I don't have any proof a photograph or a recording that would convince a hardcore skeptic. Well, if it makes but you it, feel any better, I don't think anything ever would. Right, exactly. <laughs> but the, the, actually the things that convince me personally of the paranormal um, are very subjective, and I think that's the case with a lot of people. It's not that we get the photograph, and I, I have photographs with things that are anomalous in them, and I've gotten the EVP, but when something hits me personally um, that I... I feel that I'm really seeing it through an interdimensional doorway or coming into contact with something not entirely with the material world. I had, for example, um, a full-form apparitional visitation from my deceased mother, and uh, that was about a year after she died, totally unexpected, uh, and uh, that was a very dramatic, convincing experience to me. Uh, Recently, I went to the Waverly Hills Sanatorium in Louisville, Kentucky, and maybe a lot of the listeners out there saw the Sci-Fi Channel program on that. Uh, and that was one of the creepiest, spookiest places I have ever been in. I saw shadow people. I saw um, partial apparitions, that is, pieces of people, not entire full forms, but like lower portions of people or upper portions of people. And... Um, felt a, a lot of intense energy there, um, and I've stayed in other places where I've heard things and seen things that, uh, you know, it's not your imagination. That there does definitely reach that point where it's like, okay, even if I'm imagining it, I'm trying to stop imagining it now, and it's still not going away. Exactly. And, and we've, uh, we actually did an entire episode on Waverly Hills uh, with Charlie Mattingly, and it seems that that is consistent with a lot of the reports that happen there of these half appearances these half apparitions 
And uh, our own science advisor, Matt Moniz, on an investigation of Waverly Hills, captured a uh, a full-body apparition on film. I mean, it's just, it really is the playground for the paranormal there. It's because of the tragedy associated with the place. It just makes it so easy. The membrane there is so thin. Well, when you consider that um, people were dying there, not just by the day, but by the hour, at the height of the tuberculosis epidemic, uh, people were suffering. Uh, you can imagine what it must have been like to basically slowly suffocate and choke to death uh, from tuberculosis, to be in the midst of this fear and suffering that has to leave some sort of very dramatic imprint in psychic space. Interestingly, I found the least haunted portion of uh, the premises there was the, the death chute. Uh, the death tunnel mm-hmm. where they, uh, you know, they they got rid of the bodies as quickly as possible by sending them down this tunnel uh, to be collected by hearses and family members at the bottom. I thought that was going to be the spookiest. But, you know, you think about it, the people are already dead by the time they go through the death exactly. tunnel, but you've got the suffering, the pain and the suffering going on in the wards, and that's where you find the haunting activity. And do you... Put a lot of credence in the idea of someone who dies tragically and dies before it's, you know, quote unquote, their time. That those are the souls that are still here that stay with us. They they just can't move on because they weren't ready. I do think that that accounts for some hauntings, uh, and I, I think that uh, we find stuck people in varying degrees. Uh, there are some people who seem to be very much in limbo on the earth plane, sometimes by choice because they they died without finishing something very important to them. Uh, and then sometimes it seems like there are shells that are here. It's like a person didn't completely move on. Uh, and I've often wondered if uh, we can leave animated pieces of ourselves behind where part of us might be in some afterlife, but yet we've left some sort of um, semi-active part of ourself on the earth plane because so many hauntings seem to be somewhat intelligent but not what I would call fully intelligent. It's almost like they're a, uh, a cosmic voicemail message. You know, I'm, I'm not here right now, but... Leave you know, a message. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, call me later sort of thing. <laughs> uh, so I think we have um, many shadings of hauntings and... Categories and subcategories, it becomes very difficult sometimes to precisely define exactly what uh, is in a place. And part of the problem with this is it's not really known and it's not really scientifically explored over many hundreds of years. It's only really recently, uh, the last hundred years or so, that we've investigated the paranormal from a scientific point of view. Uh, Do you think that maybe there will be that breakthrough at some point that helps us better understand it? I really do. I I really think that at some point, uh, science and mysticism, so to speak, science and the paranormal, uh, are going to come together. Uh, We're seeing more and more um, openings in science with the uh, the research that's being done. They're actually um, shooting protons and electrons through time and space. Um, The whole... uh, uh, quantum physics area that's opened up with super string and interdimensional existences and universes upon universes. Um, the ideas that 
uh, are have been present in mysticism and in psychic experience since human beings have been recording their experiences are now being validated uh, at least partially by science. I've always felt that uh, other universes, other dimensions, are just sort of layered one on top of another. They're not distant from us in space or even time. They're just um, an eye blink away. It's a matter of shifting your perspective and your awareness to, to get into some of, some of these other realms. And is it difficult uh, in, in your writing especially to be able to differentiate uh, when you have to write about a subject to incorporate some of that scientific background to it as well as recognizing the mythology of it and the legend of it as well? Well, my emphasis is particularly on history and folklore and Mm -hmm. um, personal experience. I do uh, keep abreast with the uh, scientific research, the academic, um, but for me, um, I'm curious to see how people experience these things and then how they're changed by those experiences. And then what can we find to validate those experiences from scientific research, from history, from folklore. Uh, So that's my perspective, is trying to help people understand how they're experiencing these other facets of of creation. That is the one thing that I've always... uh... I've always gotten from your writing is while other authors take an approach of a, in some cases, a psychological approach or they'll take a scientific approach, you seem to take a sociological approach and and you look at what the idea and the concepts of hauntings have to do amongst the people, uh, amongst the certain people that are experiencing them. Probably because I started having experiences myself very early in life uh, and that's what propelled me to start studying these things is what's the meaning of this what's happening um, and certainly my own ideas about life the afterlife um, what's out there uh, have changed over time as I've had experiences and as valuable as books are and I'm an author here with all these books I think it's important to study and learn and research but when it comes to the paranormal sometimes it takes experience to really bring us around to certain points of view. We might read and study, and but it's not until we have an experience that we get the validation that something really is genuine. Okay. Well, why don't we take a quick break, and on the other side of that, we will talk to you a little bit about what your experiences were, if you don't mind sharing them with us. I'd love to, Tim. All right. Well, we will be right back here on Spooky South Coast. Remember, if you'd like to call in and talk with Rosemary Ellen Guiley, 508 996 or online at the message board at SpookySouthCoast.com. We'll be right back in a few. Crystal Expectations is an extraordinary experience. Crystal Expectations has books, jewelry, candles, incense, oils, CDs, tarot decks, religious and fantasy statues, and cultural items from around the world. Crystal Expectations offers a wide variety of services including Reiki, Kuan Yin, Magnified Healing, and Meditation. Do you want to find out the influences in your life and what the future holds for you? Call to schedule a tarot or Hindu astrology reading. Crystal Expectations' knowledgeable staff has over 40 years' experience in a wide variety of spiritual disciplines. They can provide instruction in spiritual cleansing for yourself and techniques to reduce negative influences in your life. 
Crystal Expectations is located at 854 Brock Avenue in New Bedford, serving those interested in the paranormal and spiritual for over 18 years. 508-990-7898 or visit crystalexpectations.net. You can also email them at crystalx at verizon.net. Lovely, soothing tones of the Blue Oyster Cult. Big fans of them here at Spooky South Coast. Welcome back in. Tim Weisberg here, the silent assassin. Matt Costa behind the boards. Science advisor Matt Moniz is out in the field. He may check in with us uh, if he can. He's uh, doing some interviewing for Bud Hopkins on the UFO abduction phenomena. And we have our special guest on the phone with us, Rosemary Ellen Guiley. I'm sure you've read, anybody who is interested in the paranormal has probably read one of her books or one of her magazine articles at some point. Uh, Fate Magazine, of course, uh, the Reader's Digest of the Paranormal. Uh, She is a contributing editor there. And joining us in the studio is Derek Bartlett, the founder of the Cape and Islands Paranormal Research Society, uh, who is bringing Rosemary Ellen Guiley to the Massachusetts area. We will talk about that in a little while. But uh, right before we took the break, Rosemary, you were talking about your personal experiences, uh, which got you involved into the paranormal. Uh, what was your first experience? Well, when I was a kid, I had um, the proverbial imaginary playmates and the lights in the yard that were, to me, fairies. Uh, and I think this is a common experience in uh, childhood. Uh, and as a child gets older and becomes more acculturated and and socialized, so to speak, these experiences tend to go away on their own or they get dampened, especially if a child talks about them too much and, and adults are very disapproving. Um, there is psychic ability that has run down the um, my mother's line. Uh, her mother was uh, psychic, my grandmother on uh, that side of the family. My mother was, my sister is, and... Um, in my mother, it manifested a lot in precognitive dreaming, uh, and that got me very interested in dreams and our ability to send messages and travel and um, do unusual things in dreams. So I started experimenting at a very young age with doing those sorts of things while I was dreaming, programming myself to have experiences or to send messages or to visit distant places and be able to describe something and validate that later. Uh, And I could do that with a a fair amount of success. So that indicated to me um, non-local consciousness, that that I could uh, transcend the bounds of time and space in, in dreaming consciousness. And that led me into exploring doing that in waking consciousness. Uh, also, when I was a kid, I had, um, well, it, it was sort of like an angel choir because uh, when I was alone, and I spent a lot of time alone when, when I was growing up, um, I felt that I was surrounded by angels and they would sing to me to keep me company. And I think that was the beginning of my attunement to some of the spiritual dimensions because later in my life, 
the angelic realm became very important to me, and I had um, a number of experiences that formed new communication bridges uh, with um, those particular entities. So those were some of the things that happened early to me in life. And uh, then when I started studying and exploring more uh, and trying to refine and hone my natural psychic ability, which everybody has to a certain extent, then I began having other experiences as well. And, of course, my research has led me to many places uh, where I've had um, encounters with all kinds of things and mystical experiences and uh, visitations from unpleasant entities and uh, fairies and elementals and was there ever a, a time when something maybe made you reconsider uh, just how deep you were into the subject matter? I would say that um, early on, uh, when I was just starting to get into things more deeply, uh, yes, there were times when I felt that I was on uncertain ground because um, you, you're not in a normal landscape and markers that are familiar to you in the material world about uh, when you lose your balance with things and when you don't, they don't operate uh, in the paranormal. You have a, a whole new set of parameters. And initially that can be quite uh, unsettling and scary. I think this is what happens to people sometimes when they have a very abrupt experience and they haven't had much grounding in spiritual or paranormal things. It's um, uh, qu- quite unsettling. But I had some indications early on from spiritual help around me, too, that uh, that I should trust this process of, of deepening my, um, my knowledge and my experience uh, because this was the path that I had intended for myself uh, when I came into this incarnation, and that if I um, trusted this process, uh, that I would always be guided and uh, well protected by spiritual help around me. And I think that's the case. Um, I don't take things for granted. I'm very much aware of the fact that there are negative things out there and they're to be taken very seriously. So I, I'm not cavalier about a lot of things, but I do mm-hmm. feel that I've had a lot of protection around me. Because that is the one thing that, that I worry about. I have... I'm unable so far to achieve that, being able to turn off the regular consciousness and to be able to assimilate into a higher awareness. And, and I'm, I think that once you turn that on, you can't turn it off again. And you have to be ready to turn that on. And, and once you reach that level of awareness, there's kind of no going back. I, that's very true, Tim. It's, like, uh, it's almost like a one-way door. And you go through it and you are changed because your, your awareness opens up and you don't put that genie back in the bottle so you do have to be prepared for it i think that um, people who are interested in doing paranormal investigation should take some time to ground themselves um, spiritually Um, you can't run out with a box load of equipment and want to have paranormal experiences uh, without some kind of preparing of your own internal ground if, if you're going to do the job right. And uh, the best thing that people can do besides doing some study to find out you know, what's, what's out there and what the characteristics are of various things uh, is to do a little bit of uh, 
prayer or meditation every day and to try and connect with your higher self, with the spiritual presences around you. We all have them, whether you want to call them guides or power animals, angels, even the communion of saints, whatever is spiritually important to you, you're going to make that connection. And that is very grounding in and of itself, to have that kind of um, line of energy and light firmly anchored in you. And then once you can do that, once you can make that connection, uh, then you hope that whatever it is that you are connecting to can stay with you and and protect you and guide you. Yes. Uh, Even so, I think we come up with things that can, uh, you know, be unsettling. Like I've had, um, not very often, but every now and then, um, I'll have a dream invasion. And for me, that's that's a serious business. It means that something has breached my my natural defenses. Uh, I think that in dreaming consciousness, we we travel, we go to other realms. Um, Ancient peoples believe this. I think this is part of our uh, spiritual DNA, so to speak, our spiritual makeup. Um, and we can have visitations during, uh, during dreaming. And every now and then I've, oh, either been around people doing, uh, questionable magical practices or I've been in a place doing an investigation or something has stuck for a while, you know. And if I have a certain tone or kind of dream, um, indicates to me that something has gotten a little too close, and that I'll, I will take steps then to um, to refresh my energy field, to do an internal cleansing, maybe even a cleansing of space around me, and um, I'm usually able to get rid of something that way. And, and it's it's one of the keys that I've heard about dreams too is that even if you have a dream where you're not yourself, where you're doing something other than you would be able to do as yourself, or if you're living even another person's life in your dream, you're still always yourself. And it's interesting that you said that you've had dreams and dream invasions where something was threatening who you are, your sense of self in that dream. Is that kind of what was going on? Well, it's um, it, dream invasion can take um, a number of, of, of ways. Um, sometimes it's, uh, well, for, uh, to give you an example, um, and you have to know your own dreaming. You have to pay attention to your dreams to know when dreams are not ordinary, when they're extraordinary, because a lot of our dreaming really is about stuff going on in our subconscious. And uh, if I would have a certain dream with a certain emotional or physical tone to it um, that might have certain imagery in it, like certain violent imagery, um, and I can make the connection with something that I've been in the presence of, it would just indicate that an unpleasant spirit or energy has gotten a little too close into my auric field. And sometimes that can happen because, um, oh, they just kind of want to let you know that they're there, Um, maybe to frighten you. Sometimes individuals are able to do that sort of thing because they they want to manipulate you. And I've had that happen to me, too, uh, where individuals have attempted to use, you know, some sort of magic to to invade the dream state and either create psychological conditions or do something on a more manipulative way. And there are ways to ward that off. Um, But you... 
you have to know the language of the landscape, and um, that's why I think it's important for people who are interested in the paranormal to become familiar with uh, what I call the good, the bad, and the ugly. And there's a lot of good stuff out there, but there's a lot of unpleasant stuff out there, too. And uh, we will uh, we'll get into some more of that too in the in the second hour coming up on the news break here, and uh, we will talk to you also about the ghosts of Angela Webb. The presentation you will be giving as part of Caper's open meeting lecture series that takes place at Cape Cod Community College. So you don't want to miss that. So stay tuned. We will talk about that. We'll talk about a bunch of other things that are coming up as well. We'll even talk about some stuff that Spooky South Coast is going to be doing as well. Some interesting stuff where uh, you might get a chance to see our ugly mugs uh, both on television and in person. So, hey, if you're into sadomasochism, stay tuned. We'll be right back here on Spooky South Coast. Myself some mittens and I'm stitching my fingers together to keep them warm inside. I'm knitting myself a sweater to cover the body I'm wearing. Knitting! 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 And news reports brought to you here on the sub Way Band, broadcasting around the galaxy around the clock. And we'll be saying a big hello to all intelligent life forms everywhere. And to everyone else out there, the secret is to bang the rocks together, guys. Oh, all right then. Spooky South Coast is back. Holy cow. Number two of Spooky South Coast, Tim Weisberg here, Matt Costa, the silent assassin, slicing and dicing with the with the soundboard over there. You all right, Matt? You look like you're uh, falling asleep. Am I boring you? Uh, I'm not boring you. You never bore me. Yes, I do. Are you kidding me? Uh, this is like the only time he listens to me all week long. Hey, Matt, what do you think we should do on the show this week? What'd you say? Yeah, exactly. You want to, uh, let's do a two-hour show where we talk about... Killer Clowns from Outer Space, the 15th anniversary DVD edition. Don't tease me. Oh, okay. That one he actually listens to. Well, one thing you definitely want to listen up to is some of the discussion we'll be having with Rosemary Ellen Guiley in just a little bit. 
after we do a few announcements and then our own little new segment here. But we want to make everybody aware of a couple of things that are coming up. Now, next week, as I said at the top of the show, we're going to have uh, two hours dedicated to all the paranormal-related happenings, all the Halloween-related happenings that are going to be taking place throughout the area uh, during the month of October. Uh, just from haunted houses you can visit, you know, those fictional, fun, amusement park-type haunted houses, to some actual, you know, open in- invitations to go to investigations, to open meetings that you can visit and learn more about the paranormal. All kinds of things going on. We want to make everybody aware of it. We have uh, coming up right here in the city of New Bedford at Crystal Expectations, uh, which is located at 854 Brock Avenue in New Bedford. Uh, they're going to be having a couple of uh, workshops there coming up uh, in two weeks. First, on uh, Tuesday, October 10th at 7.30 p.m., they're going to have a Kuan Yin workshop with Marjorie Musaccio. And uh, what is Kuan Yin, you ask? Well, it's an energy presence of the Divine Mother. She is known as a... I'm not going to be able to pronounce this right. If Gary was here, he could he could handle it for us. But it's a, it's a being of enlightenment, the goddess of mercy and compassion, and an ascended master. She comes to us at this time to help us awaken our spirituality to our truth. There will be a time for Kuan Yin to answer your questions at this event. So what you do is you go to this event. It's uh, $25 to take, pl- to take part. And... Through this channeler, Marjorie Masaccio, she will contact the Kuan Yin, uh, the Divine Mother, and you will be able to ask questions and and communicate uh, in that way. She's been doing this since 1990 for clients across the United States. Uh, She's channeled Kuan Yin in groups on radio and on TV. She has done workshops on a variety of topics, including a series on the Archangels, which she will be coming back to Crystal Expectations on Saturday, October 14th, And at that event, she will be uh, doing an intensive channeling of the archangels. Each archangel will be described, related to the chakra it governs, and to the type of assistance that can be had from each angel in our everyday lives. So you can find out how you can use archangel energy in your life and about your personal connection to the archangels. Now that is $75. That's on Saturday, October 14th from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. Now, if you want to find out more about this stuff, you can go to their website, crystalexpectations.net, uh, I believe, and we'll have all the information up on SpookySouthCoast.com uh, as the days go by. But next week, we will talk to Marjorie, and we will find out a little bit more about Kuan Yin and about channeling the archangels, and you'll be able to find out exactly what's going on in this workshop. Also, we have coming up, uh, as I mentioned at the top of the show, the Lakeville Haunted House will be up and running in October, LakevilleHauntedHouse.com. Factory of Terror is already in full swing, FactoryofTerror.com. And some big news coming up, which hopefully we can follow up in a couple of weeks. Spooky World is returning. That's right. The the much-beleaguered, much-beligned Spooky World will be returning, but this time it's going to be at the Bayside Expo Center. So that is coming up as well. Also, we have the Massachusetts Monster Mash that will be taking place in Watertown on Friday, October 13th. There will be... uh, a uh, presentation inside the Bridgewater Triangle, a film by Aaron Kadju, who we've had on the show, and uh, it'll be followed by a talk by Chris Pittman, who was on the same show. They're both uh, experts, uh, local authorities on the Bridgewater Triangle and some of the happenings in there, and also Christopher Balzano, the administrator of the Massachusetts Paranormal Crossroads website, will be there as well. And uh, the next day, at the same location, they will be having the Massachusetts MUFON Conference that will be on October 14th, 
at 7 p.m. You can find out all of this uh, stuff and more if you go to massmonstermash.org or ufoshow.org. We will have John Horgan, the organizer of that conference, on with us next week as well. So, And uh, remember, just keep checking SpookySouthCoast.com through the whole month of October, and we'll have all this stuff up there for you to check out. We have a caller here on the line. Why don't we, uh, why don't we take that call before we get into the week and weird? Good evening, you're on Spooky South Coast. How you doing? What's happening, guys? Hey, it's Science Advisor Matt Moniz. Where are you, Matt? I am actually, um, well, I'd rather keep the location confidential at the moment. Okay. Um, is everything going okay? Yeah, a lot of interesting, interesting information. Uh, as I told you guys earlier, I was doing a little bit of uh, work here for Bud. We have a uh, case where this individual has medical uh, documentation about uh, implants complete with MRIs and doctor reports and stuff like that. I'm going over the material as we speak, uh, taking down our case information and things like that. Now, very, very intriguing case. We wanted to talk with you, too, about this uh, the story that you've been following all week long, uh, coming from the space shuttle and the mysterious debris that was floating around the space shuttle. Now, I found a story a little bit earlier today that I wasn't sure if you had heard about yet. Did you hear that one of the astronauts actually collapsed twice yes. uh, at a ceremony? So you did hear about this. Yeah, but that's not all that uncommon. Okay, because we were speculating on, you know, if there was something that happened during the spacewalk, if there was some sort of encounter that's being kept under wraps, that maybe it was related. But this is actually fairly common? I wouldn't say fairly common, but not unprecedented. Uh, what happens in space is your equilibrium goes off because you're weightless. Your inner ears uh, can wreak havoc once you get back into gravity, causes people to get nauseous, sick, vomit, pass out. It's not unprecedented. Okay, and I find it curious, but not unprecedented. Well, I mean, you are not buying the uh, NASA party line here that what was floating around the space shuttle while it was trying to make its landing was simply space junk. Uh, and no. we, we talked about it a little bit uh, at the beginning of the show, but what are your reasons for questioning whether or not that is actually, uh, actually the case? All right. Most, most of shuttle missions, everything is accounted for and battened down. You do have occasionally pieces of small insulations and things like that that may come off uh, various parts of what have you, but this was a darker object. Most material that is put on uh, space material is reflective in nature generally for heat reasons. Um, the other thing that got me is that the, this object was filmed using a camera set on more of an infinitive setting looking where you can see the clouds clearly on Earth, and this object uh, is definitely far away from the, from the orbiter itself. So that, to me, would indicate that this is something of a somewhat appreciable size, a little bit bigger than something the size of a small ruler, as other people have pointed out. Now, this something that small would not show up at that focus range. So and this is something of significance. Number two, the way in which it was reported by the astronauts was given an indication that they were looking at something that they know did not come from their uh, vehicle. And we talked about it earlier, but what exactly did the astronauts report to NASA when they saw it? Uh, uh, CNN was playing this, and they've since ceased playing uh, the audio. Uh, their direct quote is, we are not kidding about this, guys. We have an object, and they went on to describe what they were saying. Uh, now, 
NASA is not prone to uh, letting stuff go by without being able to explain things. Mm -hmm. Now, obviously, when they give out an explanation of what they think it is and then it doesn't turn out to be that, they generally, well, and rightly so, keep them all shut. Yeah. Because you're dealing with people's lives out in space. You don't want to speculate of, oh, what is it this, is it that. So what they did is they brought the space shuttle back to the International Space Station to have it do a rollover, basically, to see if all of the parts were there and all of the parts did turn out to be there. So because there was speculation that it may have been heat-resistant tiles, and if that was the case, that could cause problems with reentry, and they wanted to make it, rule that out. But if it's not anything from the station, then they're not entirely sure. Exactly. Number two, NORAD and Space Command tracks every little piece of debris in space. They can track things as small as a half-inch nut, and they do track these things because there have been parts that have come off in the process of, you know, repairing satellites and what have you, and pieces coming off in flight in orbit. So it is not uncommon for them to track smaller pieces of objects. And when they plan out these missions, all of these pieces are well calculated into advance. So this was something uncorrelated and unknown. Now, this is also not just one event. There were a series of events throughout this uh, particular SST mission. Well, uh, I hope that you will uh, keep tracking the story for us and, and report on anything else that happens uh, to us next week. I will do my best for you guys. All right. Well, uh, enjoy your time up there tonight, and do good work because it's for Bud. You got it. All right. Take care, Matt. Stay safe. That is science advisor Matt Moniz out in the field uh, doing some investigative work for Bud Hopkins and the Intruders Foundation tonight. We will talk to him as much as he can reveal uh, at a later date here on Spooky South Coast. But right now, before we get back into the discussion with Rosemary Ellen Guiley and Derek Bartlett from Capers, we are going to give you a little something we like to call the very abbreviated version of The Week in Weird. What exactly is happening in the week of weird this week? Well, how about glass coming out of somebody's forehead? And not, you know, I mean, heck, I've been in car accidents. I've had glass coming out of my forehead, too. But what if you've never been in an accident and there's no reason for glass to be in your forehead? That's what's happening to a 12-year-old girl in Nepal. She has been emitting transparent solid objects purported to be glass pieces from her forehead. Uh, according to the family's sources... Uh, she is under constant medical observation because she's emitted more than 130, quote, glass pieces, averaging 4 centimeters in length and 1 millimeter in width since January 18th of 2006. The CAT scan report indicates that she has some kind of problem in her forehead skin, said the doctor who is involved in the research. The pieces do not seem to be coming out from the bone, but we can give more details only after further investigation. He also informed the girl that she would be put under medical observation for the next three days to study the process of formation and emission of the glass pieces. Now, they say that it's the first case of its kind of the history of medical science. There are many examples where cranial bones have grown and unnaturally to give the impression of horns, uh, but the body is never really given glass, the doctor said. It's kind of a strange case. They said they would look into uh, getting some outside help from other medical sources because they're pretty baffled. 
she has been emitting triangular glass pieces every day since August 7th, according to her family. She once, accre- uh, once excreted 12 pieces of glass in one day. Sometimes she loses consciousness when she begins to spit them out, uh, but she has never been in any accident that would place the glass in her forehead in the first place. And kind of strangely enough, she's kind of on a schedule. Uh, she generally starts emitting glass pieces around 9 a.m. and keeps going till about noon. So, you know, about lunchtime, she calls it a day and she's done. So, there's, I'm, tra- I'm trying to come up with some sort of smart-ass comment to make about it, but I can't. So, Matt Costa, what do you have for us? All right. From the BBC News, a company in Snowdonia has won an award for an innovation in sheep droppings. The company, Creative Paper Wales, has produced greeting cards and gifts made from the byproducts of sheep. Its sheep poo paper products have won a £20,000 Millennium Award for social social entrepreneurship. How they do it is after the sheep droppings are collected, they are sterilized, washed, and mixed with other recycled paper. This is then turned into finished paper and cardboard, while the washing water is distributed to local growers as concentrated fertilizer. Founders Lawrence Toms and Les Paylor say they they wanted to set up a low-tech company with minimal capital, which was also environmentally friendly. The plant will the plant will be able to produce two tons of paper a year and save countless number of trees. Well, no jokes on that one either. You're, I, you're I, out of practice, I think. I could make uh, the uh, the hammer mill company could relocate its factory to my backyard if uh, they want to start using poop <laughs> to make paper. Uh, sometimes they give out too much personal information here on Spooky South Coast. But, you know, that's what we're all about here. Bearing our souls One with the people. for the audience. Exactly. So now that we've made our requisite poop joke for the week, we will take a break. And on the other side, we will get back into the discussion with Rosemary Ellen Guiley if she is not offended by our poop talk and uh, is going to join us. So we'll be right back here on Spooky South Coast. Beaming from the studios of AM 1420 WBSM, into the night and beyond. Here's more of Spooky South Coast. Matt, I don't know if you know this. Welcome back to Spooky South Coast, by the way. Tim Weisberg, Matt Costa here. Uh, d- did you know that he, in fact, rocks well? I, I did believe. Yes, I, rock I well. Do know that. He rocks well. We were we actually yesterday we were listening to the satellite radio. Uh, <laughs> I just said that over broadcast there. We were listening to the radio, and <laughs> twice, uh, twice in the span of ten minutes, that song came on, and you know it's a sign because it's it's a Spooky South Coast staple, so. Good uh, good word from the spirits is that we also rock well, apparently. So let's get back into the discussion with Rosemary Ellen Guiley uh, about the paranormal. And we will talk to her about the open meeting, the Capers open meeting. Now, Derek Bartlett, the founder of Capers, is here with us. Now, Derek, these open meetings are something that you put on every month 
year-round, there's always a different subject matter each month for people to come and learn about. Yes, yeah, so the last Friday of every, the last Friday of every month. And they happen at Cape Cod Community College. Yeah, usually in uh, North Building uh, One Sixteen. But this lecture is actually this upcoming lecture next weekend that Rosemary's going to be doing. It's in a giant lecture hall, so be prepared, Rosemary. They better come. They will come. <laughs> oh, we you know. know you. And make sure you write down that room number, Matt, because we have a hard enough time finding the regular room just because we can't remember anything. It's in the same room, like you said, all the time, and and you have signs pointing to where it is, but yeah. we still get lost. Yeah, uh, anybody that's traveling to the Cape, uh, Cape uh, the, to the college, just follow the Capers, C-A-I-P-R-S signs, and yeah. that will direct you in the right way. Plus, we'll have people in the hallway to direct you to the lecture hall. Good. It, it's really easy to get to, too, for people in the in the South Coast area here. You just hop on, uh, what's it, Route 3? Uh, route, yeah. Route, well, Route yeah. 3 or to Route 6 over the yep. Sagamore Bridge, Exit 6. Take a left at the end of the ramp, and it's right on your right. Exactly. It's so easy to get to, and there's a Burger King right there to hit up afterwards. So yeah. <laughs> you're all set. Uh, it's, a, it's a whole fine evening. Because if uh, you don't experience anything paranormal during the lecture, you will after eating that food. Hey. <laughs> we, we, last, week, last time we were on the air, it was Taco Bell. So it's like each week we're going to say one place we shouldn't That's say. and then jumps. Yeah. And then uh, knock on. <laughs> Keeping a running count. We're not, hopefully we're not upsetting you, Rosemary. Oh no, I'm we, quite enjoying this. <laughs> we get re- we get really goofy close to midnight. So, uh, and now this pr- presentation that you're putting on as as this month's open meeting is really very special. It is the Ghost of Angela Webb. What is this presentation all about? It's about one of the most unusual haunted uh, houses I have ever encountered. It's uh, a very bizarre haunting. It's not your average ghost haunting at all, and it's all true. Everything that I'm going to be presenting uh, actually happened. A movie was made uh, on this case. Not a documentary, uh, um, a movie, but nothing in the movie is fictionalized. Uh, and I call this a soul-eating house because um, the what happens here um, at this house in New Jersey is if you die while you own the house, the house sort of eats your soul. You become a ghost in the house. You are trapped in the house. Um, consequently, this house has a fair number of ghosts in it. It was built in the um, 18th century, the late 1700s, um, and it's, um, as far as we know, still active today. It's privately owned, and uh, so depending on the owners, um, you know, you have access or you don't, and presently uh, paranormal researchers do not have access to the house. But we have some uh, interesting documented activity, some tragedy associated with the house. It's a very gripping story. And um, like I said, it's one of the most amazing haunted places I have ever encountered. And, of course, because we know our audience and we know what it is that they're interested in, there's also a lustful ghost who likes to have sex with the living? Yes, indeed. Uh, And actually, this is not unheard of in hauntings. Mm -hmm. But um, this house was very active in that way, that one of, one of the ghosts there in particular um, likes to have her way with people of both sexes. And, you know, it, it's, it's kind of unnerving for the living to understand because, you know, these ghosts, uh, especially ones that don't realize that they've passed on, they have the same desires as, as humans. It's been well documented mm-hmm. throughout history that uh, living people can be uh, sexually harassed and even molested by the unseen, either ghosts 
or spirit presences and what's been called, you know, the incubus or the succubus. Um, it's in vampire literature. The ability of the spirit world to um, to interact in that way with uh, the living. And in, uh, in vampire folklore, for example, the restless dead want to come back and enjoy sex with the living because they're upset that they, they can't do that anymore. They don't have bodies to enjoy that. And they're very jealous of the living because the living have love and pleasure and material things, and that's what the dead want. That's um, a premise in vampire folklore. But we find that thread of paranormal activity uh, in other kinds of folklore and other kinds of hauntings as well. Now, you you say that uh, there's been a long history of activity in this home uh, and that there is some research that has been done, but has anybody found any probable cause as to why it would have happened originally? Well, we have we have some working hypotheses, uh, and who knows sometimes why a particular haunting activity starts in a place. It could be energy. It could be activity there. Uh, we uh, have been able to find documentation of a very early suicide in the house. Uh, I think that the energy of place has a lot to do with it. There are other unusual hauntings in the area. It's also known for its UFO activity. Um, the house is made of fields, partly of field stone, and I think that there are some geophysical properties in the soil, the stone, and the construction of some of these very older houses that have been uh, conducive to retention of things and maybe retention of certain kinds of energy. Now, it could very well be that um, certain forces get attracted to areas that um, because they can be magnified or amplified or stored longer by a mix of things. And this particular house, just a lot of negative things seem to have collected there, sort of pooled there, and, and the energy seems to be stuck. Is there any truth to that? I, I have heard... Um for I read somewhere that it's believed in Colton's intended housing, not only the living living member of the family, also the past. Talk of being in proven interest. Lots of audience that compelled to make this movie. Uh, now, Carl has visited a lot of places, and he routinely sees other dimensional realities. He sees the dead like you and I see each other. He can walk into almost any... Uh, town, any place, and see residual energy from the past. So it takes a lot to really shake his attention. Uh, and he, uh, he documented all this, uh, for the film. So I used the film, scenes from the film, to demonstrate, uh, how things took place in this house. Some of the poltergeist activities, some of the, uh, ghostly appearances. And uh, the action centers on a woman named Angela Webb. That's a pseudonym because we, we don't reveal, for privacy reasons, her real name. Uh, and how she reacted emotionally to the daily confrontations with the dead. Now, a lot of times when these cases make it to film, uh, they kind of bastardize a lot of the facts. But by having the investigator also be the filmmaker, uh, there, there is that advantage of holding truthfulness to it. That's right. So uh, all the scenes, um, these things really took place in, in the house. 
the facts that were uh, um, found through research of historical records, it's all real. Uh, now, if the movie ever gets picked up by Hollywood, uh, my guess would be that by the time Hollywood would get through with it, you'd barely be able to recognize the storyline. Uh, it might be a good story, but it wouldn't be that story. That never happens. <laughs> that never happens. Oh, we did a whole episode on the Bell Witch uh, case and, and just how they totally distorted the facts. Oh, that so, was terrible. It, ap- it really was. I mean, it was uh, the place. Yeah, they had the name, the place. And after that, things started to get very fictional. <laughs> and, and unfortunately, as I've noticed in the in the months that have passed, uh, the results of the American Haunting film have been what has become the accepted fact real quickly. I mean, it didn't even have to come out to DVD yet, and people were already, you know, assuming that that movie was the actual version of the event. So it, it's a good thing that so far Hollywood hasn't tried to put that stamp on the Angela Webb case. Well, it's got a lot of elements in it that I think a lot of people will relate to. And it's it's also a poignant story because it does involve a lot of intense personal emotion and tragedy. Uh, and uh, I don't want to give away all the things that happen mm-hmm. in the ending of it, but um, people are very emotionally engaged in the story and uh, the ending. And also at this presentation, though, I would assume that you would have uh, an opportunity for people that just have questions in general for both the the Cape and Islands Paranormal Research Society and yourself uh, to just any questions they might have on the paranormal, any any thoughts or or experiences they want to share. I'm always happy to entertain all kinds of questions because I I deal in uh, just about every aspect of the paranormal, spiritual, and mystical that you can think of. Uh, so uh, I, I love to answer questions, and I'm sure Derek gets questions on all kinds of subjects, too. So uh, we like to engage the audience. Yeah, yes, we do. And the funny thing is, Rosemary, is a lot of the times I'm re- referring to your books for the answers. Oh, well, thank you. You're welcome. Yeah, we're, we're gonna. We're just gonna change your name to Rosemary Encyclopedia Guyly, <laughs> because really, I mean, it, so many, so many times that people have asked me questions, and they've said, you know, what's a good book to search out on this? What's a good? And you just have to point them in the direction of the different books that you've written on some of these topics, and it's, you know, a real go-to source. You can get an overview of it, and you know, then if you find out, like for example, I'm looking right now in front of me, uh, the Encyclopedia of Ghosts and Spirits. Now if there's a particular case in there that you want to delve into a little bit more, there's other literature, but if you want an overview to just get everything, I mean this is the way to go. I, st- I started writing encyclopedias almost by accident out of my own need. Um, I was already a published author in both nonfiction and fiction when I started the encyclopedia business, but I'd be reading books and I would say to myself, I wish I just had an armchair guide that would give me a little more information about this so I'd have a better idea of what I'm reading about. And voila, the encyclopedias started, the uh, single-volume books, which they're great browsing books, but they that's exactly what I strive to do is give people an overview so that you can get a grasp of a subject or a controversy or a case uh, and... Uh, broaden your knowledge about it. I just just got my eighth encyclopedia published this month, the Encyclopedia wow. of Magic and Alchemy, which I'm quite excited about. And I'll have um, some of my books uh, with me at the program next week. Well, you definitely want to get out and, and check that out and, and pick up some of these books because 
you know, they're great for, you know, frauds like uh, Matt Costa and myself sitting here talking about the paranormal. That if somebody says, you know, mentions something we don't know about, you can just glance right through and, and you'll have an idea of what they're talking about. Uh, now, exactly how much work must go into putting together one of these encyclopedias, though, because you have to. You might know a lot more information than you provide in the encyclopedia format. Uh, how do you determine what to cover and, and how to limit it or, or what to broaden? Actually, the, the hardest decisions are what to leave out rather than what to put in because a, a single-volume encyclopedia has, on the average, about 250,000 words and anywhere from four to 600 entries. Now, any particular subject, no matter how much you narrow it, um, you, you're not going to be able to cover everything. So you have to eliminate some things. Uh, and I find that the hardest because I'm curious about everything. I put an average of two years into every first edition. Some of my encyclopedias are in second editions, and I put about another year to a year and a half in revising, expanding, and updating. I do a tremendous amount of reading. I've got my own personal library uh, of about 4,000 books, um, highly specialized, and I um, also do a lot of online research, um, specialized library collections. Uh, when I travel, I uh, attend a lot of conferences, um, read a lot of academic literature, scientific literature, and I have a huge network of people who do a lot of field work, people like Derek and his group, who are constantly uncovering things and discovering things, so I like to know what people are doing. So I'm doing a lot of professional networking uh, a lot, too. And then I interview people about their experiences. So um, I've been doing this full-time since 1982, and all of these topics overlap in some way or another. So one, one area of inquiry feeds and nurtures other avenues as well. And then also, you're a contributing editor for Fate Magazine. And uh, as we said earlier in the show, it's kind of like the Reader's Digest for the Paranormal. And, and we've had Phyllis on, on the program uh, before. What do you do in your capacity as a consulting editor with them? I'm uh, out in the field looking for interesting things to write about. Uh, I've been a columnist for Fate. Mm -hmm. uh, and actually, I like being consulting editor better because um, I... Uh, I'm not tied to um, a deadline uh, every other month. It enables me to spend more time doing uh, more research to do longer pieces. In the, um, the next issue, in the October issue, I will have um, a couple of large articles on EVP. And um, then I'll, in the next issue, uh, doing a write-up on the Mothman Festival. I cover UFOs. I can pretty much be a writer at large for fate what i like about fate is um, the audience um, a lot of very inquiring curious people read fate and they're like me they want to know more about uh, the unseen and they want solid information uh, they don't want a lot of um, um, half-baked information or fantasy uh, they want a lot of good solid data that will help them understand uh, their multiverse and their experiences. And it's one of the few uh, publications out there in the field devoted to that. And, and I always tell people it's a magazine that you could uh, throw it on the table at a barbershop 
people could come in, glance through it, and read it, and start up a conversation about what's in it, and not at all feel uncomfortable talking about the paranormal. Right. It, it just takes a, a nice approach to it to to really get the word out there. And and some of these, you know, there's conspiracy magazines, and there's you know a lot of these. Um, Skeptical magazines and different avenues that you can take it. And fate kind of plays it right down the middle. They give you the information that you're looking for, like you said, without over-dramatizing anything. And you also have a number of articles up on your website, uh, visionaryliving.com as well, too, right? Yes. Some of those are from uh, magazines that I've written for. Uh, I've written for Dream Magazines. I'm going to have my uh, first piece on Atlantis Rising coming out soon, and that's going to be on instrumental transcommunication. Uh, the work of Mark Macy. Um, he's been doing some inter- instrumental transcommunication is the next step beyond EVP. It's communication with uh, the dead and higher realms using all kinds of, of high tech as well as uh, the very important element, spiritual consciousness. And Mark Macy is one of the leaders in that field. Uh, and then I've taken also some material from some of my books and done excerpts from them, which I fashioned into articles. I want to give people uh, kind of a mini library of, of articles to read on my website. Uh, and so I featured some of the most commonly, topics that are some of the most commonly asked questions that I get from uh, radio shows and media interviews, things that people are most curious about and uh, some of the topics that are my favorites to write about, and they're up on my website. It really is. It's a, it's a great way to kind of get an introduction into a lot of this. If there's things that you haven't heard about yet or, or things that you're interested in uh, researching further and you haven't really had an opportunity, it's a good place to go and to just check out some of these other avenues. Like, for example, uh, you know, ITC, like you were saying, that's something that's new to a lot of our audience. You know, they're, they're used to the EVPs. They see other groups on television or on websites that come up with EVPs. But ITC is, like you said, an exciting new field that people might not really be aware of yet. It hasn't yet gotten into the mainstream the way EVP has. Uh, but I think that's coming uh, there's some amazing work being done in, uh, in ITC. The American Association for Electronic Voice Phenomena had uh, an absolutely dynamite conference in Atlanta this past summer where they brought leading experts from around the world to talk about their research. And uh, it was uh, just astounding what some people are doing. Uh, we've got EVP without microphones, for example, uh, a brilliant man in Scotland, Alexander McRae, who's been able to get uh, astounding EVP using biofeedback and a radio hooked together. Bypasses the microphone altogether. So that ends the controversy uh, in some respects about how do voices get uh, imprinted on, you know, a digital recorder or tape. Do they use a microphone? Do they not? He doesn't even bother with a microphone. Um Feedback loops using uh, hooking up video cameras to computer screens, uh, providing sort of an optical white noise that becomes a matrix for spirit to form images on. Some astounding work there coming out of uh, Sonia Rinaldi's lab in Brazil. In Italy, a forensics laboratory where they've analyzed EVP voices using for forensic software to demonstrate that certain sounds recorded in EVP could not possibly be made by human vocal cords. 
Now, a lot of this research is not very well publicized and very well known, but it's becoming very well documented. Well, I think a lot of the reason why it's not so well known yet, though, is because a lot of it is highly technical, and many of the people who are becoming interested in the field have not yet gained that expertise, but it's coming. I mean, most of the people that are jumping on board with the paranormal now are thirsty for that knowledge, and they are willing to uh, be educated. One of the best places that people can go for resources in that particular area, ITC and EVP, is the website of the American Association for Electronic Voice Phenomena, AAEVP. Uh, and they have a lot of resources up on their website with links for a lot of this international research. They have a lot of technical stuff on their website, too, and a lot of how-to. I, I've been on their site, and i got to tell you, it's, it's one thing when you hear a spirit for the first time and when you get the ITC and you can actually see it manifesting, it's, it's totally mind-blowing. It's, and it's, it's exciting, uh, and I think this is going to be uh, another big wave of uh, research that's going to break open. We, we've had little waves of ITC in the past, but I think it's building up now to a big wave, and that it's going to break through into mainstream awareness the way we've had other topics break in, like the near-death experience, like uh, out-of-body um, EVP and the the day of the ITC awareness is right on the horizon. And all it takes is just for a little more knowledge, and we are glad that you are able to provide some of that knowledge for us uh, through your many works and, and your many presentations. So for everybody, don't forget next Friday, uh, if you go to Cape Cod Community College at 7 p.m., you can catch the Ghosts of Angela Webb. You can't actually catch the ghost, but you can catch the presentation, The Ghosts of Angela Webb, presented by Rosemary Ellen Guiley as the September open meeting for the Cape and Islands Paranormal Research Society. Visit their website if you'd like more information, capers.com, C-A-I-P-R-S.com. And, of course, you have the tour the next night with Rosemary on board as well. Yes, starting actually... Uh for all the listeners, it's going to be starting at 7 o'clock. That's a meet and greet with Rosemary Ellen Guiley at the Sturgis Library. Um, so if you go to the website, you'll see 8 p.m. for the tour, but for all your listeners, it's 7 p.m. Um, again, it's at Sturgis Library. It's a history-haunted walk-in tour of Barnstable Village, uh, hosted by myself and special guest Rosemary Ellen Guiley. Um, so that's starting at 7 p.m. on Saturday. And, and you know, it's, it's a good way to kick off the... The Halloween season, it's, it's kind of like that first trip to Edaville when it's Christmas time for, <laughs> for people that are interested in this stuff. So make sure you check that out. And, of course, you can go to our website, SpookySouthCoast.com. All week long we'll have that information up there as well. So, Rosemary, we thank you so much for joining us tonight. Well, thank you, Tim. It's been a real pleasure, and I'm looking forward to uh, meeting everybody next weekend. I think it's uh, going to be great. We're going to have a lot of fun, and it's going to be very interesting. Oh, we can't wait. So uh, we will talk to you then, and hopefully all the Spooky South Coast audience will be there as well. So uh, we thank you. And, Matt, do you have anything that you'd want to add before uh, we're coming up on the end here? You want to yeah. talk about the, uh, the upcoming film festival that you'll be attending? Uh, hopefully I'll be attending if I have time. All right, well, you make time. I make time. That'll be the in Providence, Rhode Island. They'll be having the 7th Annual Rhode Island International Horror Film Festival October 5th through the 8th, and we will have uh, Rick Rebello on with us next week to talk about it and Penny Dreadful, 
our friend will be the host. So we'll talk more about that next week. And, of course, like I hinted before, our ugly mugs uh, will be on television coming up soon. Uh, for those uh, who get the uh, cable access program, The Rational Individualist with Stephen Grossman, Matt Moniz, and myself uh, will be appearing on a future edition of that program. Uh, also, on October 12th, we will be giving a presentation. That we'll have the details out a little bit more in the coming days, but uh, we will be giving a presentation as part of the AHA program uh, at a local facility here in New Bedford. So we will get more information out on that as it trickles into us. And, of course, any time that you want to get in touch with us, you can email us, tim at spookysouthcoast.com, matt at spookysouthcoast.com, or if you'd like to share anything with Science Advisor Matt Moniz, it's scienceadvisor at spookysouthcoast.com. We're also on our message board on the website. You can get us on MySpace, myspace.com slash spookysouthcoast. Uh, what else? Can they send smoke signals, um, mental telepathy? Mind bullets. Mind bullets. Uh, telegraph. You, you familiar with Telegraph? They don't teach you that at CSB. No. no? Okay. We, have a, we have a can and a string. Can and a string. A couple of tin cans yeah. and a string works yeah. as well. So what we're saying is uh, we are here for you if you want to share your experiences with us, if you want to come down to the open meeting next Friday night at Cape Cod Community College and share them with everybody. And please, I mean, there's no reason why you can't. It's totally free. There's no charge. It's totally relaxed. It's totally easy. Nobody's going to judge you. Uh, other people might think you're crazy. We don't. We think that you're just uh, not understanding what's going on, and we're going to try to help you. So. I think you're crazy if you don't go. Exactly. No, totally. And uh, anything else that we need to promote, go to uh, cafepress.com slash spooky south and buy some of our crap. We have uh, a sale going on, actually. It's uh, not crap. It's stuff. Yeah, our, our swag. We have a, a sale going on. A bunch of stuff is uh, now uh, like a dollar off, which is huge because it basically eliminates the profit for us because we just want to get it out there and, and, and get our name out there. We appreciate the help of all of our listeners spreading the word now that the holiday season is upon us. Halloween is coming. Uh, what else do we call it? Sam Hain? All Hallows Eve? All, you know, it's all here, and uh, and also don't forget, don't forget, Kristen Gartland from Taps is looking for people to go to Haunted Amusements uh, with her to review for that website as well, which the name escapes me. Right, Scarefactor.com. So get in touch with her, MySpace.com/slash Hell's Kristen. Uh, that's Kristen K R I S T Y N. Also linked up to us at SpookySouthCoast.com. Get out there, enjoy the season. We'll have more for you here next week. We want you all to stay spooktacular. Rest assured, listener, that my time here has not been easy, and what you have just heard was not fiction. Although, in many a desperate moment, I most certainly wish it had been. It's over for now, it seems. Or at least, until yesterday begins again. Tomorrow, tomorrow. Supernatural is something that isn't supposed to happen, but it does it.